Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Well, we are uh, continuing our series Good News Encounters in the Book of Acts, and we're actually at a point now where we see uh, the gospel going out to the Gentiles. Uh, last, not last week, last week was where I almost got stabbed. Uh, if you're here, you would have seen that. Uh, the week before, Brayden, uh, I think he was in chapter 15 or 16, so he jumped a little bit ahead. We're coming back now to chapter 14. And I want to just quickly, before we get into what we're looking at, just give you a little bit of context. Uh, you'll see up here on the map uh, where the Apostle Paul has travelled. If you remember chapter 9, a man named Saul who was persecuting Jews, has a conversion, becomes a Christian, and now is proclaiming the gospel or preaching the gospel to everyone who will listen and to people who won't listen. He is telling everyone about Jesus. And he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Now he basically has a headquarters in Antioch, just there you see the, the Syria, uh, just below that is Antioch, where he is based out of. And him and a guy named Barnabas, we looked at him a while ago as well, are then prayed for, and the church in Antioch released Barnabas and Paul to go and tell the world about Jesus. And, and this is what they happen. They go to Cyprus there, they catch the, the ferry, the Perth ferry, over to Cyprus, uh, Patmos, and then, and then up to Perga. And then uh, another Antioch, this is a different Antioch, same name, it can be a little bit confusing, uh, and this is chapter 13. And we see in Antioch there, Paul and Barnabas are preaching the word and multitudes are becoming Christians. Lots of people becoming Christian. It says that the word of the Lord spread through that whole region. That whole region, uh, they, they accepted Jesus. But then it says, but the Jews that hadn't become Christians uh, incited uh, trouble and distress and they actually rallied the high-standing people in that city to get Paul and Barnabas booted out of Antioch. Not Antioch in Syria, but Antioch up there in Galatia. And so Paul and Barnabas are actually expelled from the city and they're told to get out and not welcome here. Now, it's interesting because if Paul and Barnabas get their sandals and wipe the dust off and say, we don't want to be here anyway. And so that's where we're at Chapter 14, they've just been preaching the gospel. Lots of people responded. There is, there is kind of this division and people pushing against the gospel and they're kicked out of this town and they head to a town called Iconium. Let's read and see what happens. This is what it says. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. Now remember, that was the standard thing that Paul would do. He would find the Jewish people and, and, and preach the gospel to them first. So we know there's some Jewish believers there because there's a Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. So what are they doing? They're preaching and proclaiming. And right at the beginning, we're going to see this throughout, even through chapter 13, chapter 14, that they preach and proclaim. They preach and proclaim. That's what their task is. That's what it means to be a mission. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our last instruction is to go and make disciples. That's what it means to bring goodness. 
is to preach and proclaim. And it says here that they spoke so effectively, that they preached and proclaimed so effectively, that a great number, not a small number, not a couple, not one or two, but a great number, that's a lot of people they're saying, a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But here we see the same thing happen. But the Jews who refused to believe, so these were the Jewish people who knew the Old Testament, but they refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Saviour, he was, he was the one that had been promised. Those who refused to believe, look what they did. They stirred up the Gentiles. So the Gentiles, they, they, they didn't know anything of the Old Testament, they were uh, pagan religion, and so they stir up trouble with the Gentiles. And look at this phrase in here, this sentence, and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Poison their minds. That's very strong language. Basically, these Jewish, and, and actually Jesus talks about this when he was up here on earth. He says, if you reject my message, okay, no worries, there'll be consequences to that. But if you cause someone else to stumble, or someone else to reject my message, that your judgment is going to be more severe. And so these Jews who do not believe are actually stirring up trouble and are actually like poison or speaking poison or poisoning the minds against others. To say, hey, that Jesus stuff is a load of rubbish. Don't believe in that. It's not real. Paul and Barnabas, they can't be trusted. Probably discrediting them. Probably tearing them down. Probably just poisoning them. Little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Actually, the other thing you should know is chapter 14 is a period of two years. We're going to do it in 25 minutes. But actually, chapter 14 is about a period of two years. And so this is going on for a while, the poisoning of minds. When I thought of that, I thought of like, um, you know when you get ants and you put out the ant poison and that little ant picks up the ant poison, you think it's some food, takes it back to the ant hotel or wherever they hang out, what do you call it? Nest or is it a nest? That's birds live in nests. I thought it was like a mound. Anyway, takes it back to the ant nest mound quarantine, puts the little bit of poison there, and everyone starts to eat it and goes back and they're bringing the poison in, and everyone's getting poisoned by this food. And this is what these people are doing, they're poisoning what Paul and Barnabas are doing there. A little bit at a time, they're poisoning, poisoning, poisoning. Uh, and then look at their response. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly, speaking boldly for the Lord. So, so they're debating, they're pushing against the poison, they're not, they haven't fled, they haven't left, they're confronting this false teaching, or they're confronting this stuff, uh, they're, they're speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace. By, by enabling them to do miracles and wonders. So, so what God does then, he says, okay, I will affirm what Paul and Barnabas are doing, the words they're speaking by allowing them to do miracles. It doesn't say what type of miracles they did, but they were doing miracles. It's funny that sometimes people look at that miracles bit and think that the miracles need to come first, but when you look through the book of Acts, it's generally the proclaiming and the preaching, and sometimes there's the miracles. The priority isn't the miracle, the priority is the proclaiming and the preaching. And right here we see the proclaiming and the preaching, and then that is affirmed or backed up by the miraculous work of, uh, or miraculous signs. 
quite sure what they were doing. Uh, it says that they did miraculous signs and wonders. The people in the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. Isn't this, this sucks in some ways? Great things are happening, but now the city is, it actually literally says the city is divided. Some are going and have become Christians and believe the apostles, and others have taken the poison, taking the poison, not realizing that it will eventually kill them. And keep reading, it says, Then there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews to get with their leaders, again, they bring in the leaders of that city uh, to, to poison their minds. Interesting, the word of God says that you will be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So, so it's our mind that directs us. Now, I know feeling and emotion plays a big role as well, and some people, but, but they, use their, they, they affect other people's minds to attack the poor and Barnabas, and so they plot a plot, they put a plot together to mistreat them and stone them. But then we read that Paul and Barnabas found out about it and fled to Laconian cities in Lystra and Derby and the surrounding country. And this is where they continue to preach the good news. It says the gospel up there. Um, and so, so they find out that these people who were planting the poison have actually now plotted to have Barnabas and Paul beaten up or stoned or, or whatever, harassed. And so Paul and Barnabas remove themselves. And so in this first section, what do we see? We see preaching and proclaiming, but we also see decisions and division. Decisions and divisions. The decisions, we see people saying yes to Jesus. We see people making decisions to actually follow Jesus. We see people making decisions to, to, to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some Jews, some Gentiles. But we also see divisions. We see people have been split down the middle. We see people pushing against what Paul and Barnabas say. And here's the thing, uh, we, we sometimes don't focus on this bit because we think, uh, well, we don't think the gospel is love, the gospel is goodness, the gospel is life, and, and all those types of things. And, and we think if people get upset, then it mustn't be the gospel. But actually, that's not always the case. For some people, the gospel is offensive. For some people who, who, don't, who are hiding in the dark, they don't want anything to do with the light, do they? That actually the gospel both unites, but also divides. The gospel unites people, but also divides people. The gospel cuts straight down the middle. We see it in Paul's ministry. We see it in the apostles' ministry. You probably may have experienced it yourself. Huh? I'm a Christian, not everyone likes Christians. I tell people about Jesus, not everyone likes to hear about Jesus. We, we experience that in, in our own world. That's our own experiences. We see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus divided people. Now, everyone had access to Jesus. Jesus is the I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no, there's no if black, white, rich, poor, short, tall. You can come to Jesus, but Jesus says he's the only way. In fact, so much so that, that, that Jesus divided people, they actually killed him for what he said and what he did and the way he lived and the way he acted and the things that he talked about. They killed him. So Jesus divides. The gospel divides. Jesus tells a parable about a, a, a farmer who was sown seeds. And he says some of the seeds lands on different parts of the ground and some seeds get picked up and taken away and some seeds take the little roots but then die. Some normal seeds produce fruit, he says. 
And time and time again, we, we listen to the teaching of Jesus, and actually Jesus says that he is quite divining, that the God's word divides. He says that there's a broad gate and a narrow gate. He says there's a broad road which leads to death and destruction, and he actually goes on and talks about it being hell, and he says many people go down the broad uh, path, or the broad freeway, and then he says there's a narrow path, or a narrow track, and few find it, but, but those who go down that path, guess what? That leads to life, leads to eternal life, and heaven. That's divine. And Jesus says that now some people are, are like a good, piece, a good fruit tree that produces good fruit, some are like a bad fruit tree which produces bad fruit. Jesus talks about two ways of living. Some people build their life upon the rock, the foundation. Some people build their life on the, the sinking sands. So Jesus divides. The gospel divides. And maybe you don't even like hearing that, that the gospel divides. But that's what it is, that the gospel cuts. Some people don't want to respond to the gospel. Some people do and they believe. Some people wrestle with it. Some people sit on the fence with it. Some people actively work against it. And in this story, we see both. We see decisions to follow Jesus, but we also see division. I read a story a few years ago about a Muslim man in, I think it was... Pakistan, uh, he, he became a Christian uh, through dreams, and then somehow he got a, a New Testament Bible, he became a Christian, and uh, he lived two lives in many ways, and that's what a lot of Muslims do in those extreme countries. Uh, and anyway, about three years after becoming a Christian, somehow his dad found out that he'd become a Christian. His dad had a handgun and started shooting at him. He had to flee the country. And he, and he flew and, and I think currently is in South Africa. That's faith. You know you're a real believer when, when your own family shoot at you and you don't, you don't renounce it. You, you, you haven't seen mum and dad for, I don't know, 30 years I think it's very well. The gospel unifies but it also divides. Unifies and divides. The great interesting story of the Salvation Army, I always bang on about, maybe I should become a salvo, but I love the, the founding story that, that uh, William Booth in East London, up in East London, uh, hundreds of thousands of people were becoming Christians. So much so that the pubs, the local pubs, started losing money. Why? Because people stopped drinking. People stopped drinking, and so the pubs were like, this gospel's horrible. It divided. In fact, they came out and started persecuting and abusing Christians. And abusing the salvos because the lives were changed that much. It unifies, but also divides. Let's keep reading. So at the end of verse 7 we see they leave Iconium, preaching and proclaiming, but there were decisions to follow Jesus, but there was also divisions. And now they head to a different area, Lystra and Derby. It says here in verse 8, verse, oh gee, Verse 8, the next day. Is this where I am? No. Gee, I skipped that thing, man. Panic attack, where am I? Hey! Oh my gosh. My fat fruit and veggie funds. They're not. Okay, here we go. No laughing at me. No crying at me either. 
In Elisha, they sat a man crippled, meaning he couldn't walk, in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. So this guy was, was crippled, he couldn't walk, he, he'd been there uh, since the beginning, so it's not like it was an accident, halfway through his life, he was born that way, is the sense that we get from the text. And he listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul directly looked at, Paul looked directly at him. Saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, so Paul is speaking. What is he doing? He's preaching and proclaiming. So there will be a miracle. The miracle doesn't come first. Paul doesn't walk in and say, I'm going to bring the miracle. No, he's preaching and proclaiming because that's his priority. That's his focus. And then it says he, he, this, this person who couldn't walk was, was listening to what Paul had. And Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, I don't know what Paul saw. What did he see that he thought this guy has faith to be healed? Was it the Holy Spirit maybe communicating that through him? Was it the fact that this guy looked eager and was kind of leaning into what Paul had to say? We don't know why Paul thought that this guy had faith to be healed. If you, if you, if you know your Bible, there's a similar story in the earlier Acts. Something very similar happens, doesn't it? Uh, but Paul looks... And he calls out and says, Hey mate, this is the Australian version, stand on your feet. Now we know, so Paul said that this guy had faith and looked like he had faith. Now we know by his response that what Paul was thinking was absolutely true. Because the poor guy who'd never been out of the walk doesn't say, You're dreaming. These legs don't work. Are you serious? I've been like this my whole life. You've got to be kidding me. Don't be cruel. Don't offer me false hope. He doesn't say any of that. Look at his response. Stand up and get on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So there's a miracle there, but there's preaching and proclaiming. This guy obviously did have faith because he responds straight away to what Paul had to say. And then we read, when the crowd saw that Paul, what, what, saw, what Paul had done, they shouted, in their Laconian language, so their local tribal language. I don't think about this, this little town here in Lystra. It's, it's not a Jewish town. Okay? It's a pagan, it's, it's a pagan kind of village, a pagan city, so they worship many gods, but they weren't monotheistic, they didn't worship one god. How do we know that? Because it, he doesn't go to the synagogue here, does he? He just goes out into the streets and you'll see in a while how he preaches. So these people have never really heard about the God of the Bible. So when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they, they shouted in their, their native tongue, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, so the number one God, the main God, the strong God, Zeus. They called Barnabas was Zeus. And Paul they called Hermes because he was the, was the chief speaker. So they, they thought that Barnabas and Paul were part of their Greek mythology. That's their context, uh, this, where there's lots and lots of gods. And they thought, wow, Barnabas must be Zeus, and Paul must be Hermes, or Jupiter, I think it is in Roman mythology, or Mercury, one of those planets. But, but that's who they think it is. Look what happens. Barnabas called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city. So they had a temple where they would worship Zeus. There was a priest for Zeus who's there. He's thinking, wow, this is great. 
powerful does this happen? Zeus come down, Hermes come down, this is, this is going to be awesome. And the priests of, of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Barnabas and Paul, who they thought was Zeus and Hermes. Now here's the interesting backstory. Uh, uh, an old manuscript, Ovid, uh, which was about 40 uh, years before the birth of Jesus, writes about the stories of these, uh, these gods, the Greek mythology gods, and, and he tells a story of, of Zeus and Hermes visiting the, this area, very similar area, uh, prior to this story, where Zeus and Hermes were, were looking for somewhere to stay. They came in uniform and they were looking for somewhere to stay. And the story goes that they visited a thousand homes and no one let them in. No one let them in. And then once, uh, all of a sudden, they visited an only couple, so two people, old, old couple, that didn't have much, very small house, but they invited them in. They showed them hospitality. And so Zeus and Hermes stayed in the night. And then they got up in the morning and, and they destroyed the thousand homes that didn't offer them in, and they turned the house back up to stay and the other people into a temple, and they all celebrated those old people like, wow, I'm just not alone. Um, but the thousand homes were destroyed. And so, so with that backstory, you can imagine the, these people thinking, we don't want, this could be Zeus and Hermes, we know what happened last time we didn't show them hospitality, we've we got, we got to do something. So that the priest runs out against the biggest bull and the reeds, and they're going to offer a sacrifice. But the thing is, they're not Zeus and Hermes because they're not real. And look what Paul and Barnabas do. But when the apostles, Barnabas, Barnabas is referred to as an apostle here uh, in, in, a, in a broader sense. Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They tore their clothes. That's what I'm going to do when the bulls come down and tear my clothes off. I'm not running naked. But anyway, they tear their clothes off. Why? Because that's a Jewish response to blaspheming. They're like, no, we are not God. And so they tear their clothes off and almost spit me. And, uh, and that's what they do. They tear their clothes off and rushed out into the, the crowd shouting. Now, if, <laughs> none of that story, if you know in Acts chapter 12, Herod, when he got worshipped as God, do you remember this story? What did he do? He took that worship, and then what happened? Does anyone know? Please, someone. He died. So that's their backstory. They're thinking, we're not, we're not going to take this worship because we know what happened to Herod. He didn't last long after that. About 30 seconds, yeah, and he was gone. So that's his back, their backstory, and, and, and obviously they're followers of Jesus. And they know they're not God and they worship the high God. And so they tear off their clothes and rush out in the crowd shouting, Man, women, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, there's that phrase. We've been bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things. Now listen, and just observe the way Paul speaks to them. It might sound a bit harsh, but if you look at the way Paul speaks to Jewish crowds, he uses the Old Testament, doesn't he? He'll, he'll say how Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. He doesn't do that here. Why? Because these people don't know he needs to fill them right in. This is what he says. He's, he's preaching. He knows his audience. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea 
and everything in them. So God has created. They would have known that there was a creator. Uh, the God who creates is the God. They know that. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not let, left himself without testimony. Yet he is still present for all the same. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So he's staying where they're at. And there's a sense that he's getting some traction. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now we don't know the time frame, but again we do know that chapter 14 and chapter 13 is, is, is about two years. So it doesn't say that they offer sacrifices. Okay, but I wish it did. I wish it did. I'd love to know what happened there. But look what happens in verse 19. So I reckon people did respond to the gospel with what Paul was saying. I wouldn't be surprised if the rest of that sermon that Paul gave, proclaiming and preaching or preaching and proclaiming, talked about how Jesus came. But then we get these ideas. Then some Jews came from Antioch. So they were from the local area. Came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Can you remember what Paul was doing before he became a Christian? What was he going to do? He, yeah, he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus to round up the Christians. And he's on the run now for the rest of his life almost. The same thing that he originally set out to do is, is happening to him. Some Jews that came from Antioch where he was and from Iconium where him and Barnabas were and they're what? They're talking, they're talking this Christian stuff down. They're debating it. They're saying it's no good. They're dropping the air poison. And they won the crowd over. The crowd turned really quick. Look what they do. Is it up there? Yeah, it is. They, they stone Paul. As in they threw rocks at him. And dragged him outside the city. Thinking he was dead. Now we, we, we can just read straight over that. But if you have rocks thrown at you. That hurts. <laughs> firstly. But to the point where the people who are throwing rocks at you. Think you're actually dead. And then they drag you out of the city, because they don't want you dead in the city. They drag you out because you're dead. You must be pretty dead. You must look dead. You must smell dead. You must sound dead. Because so, so they were real rocks hitting him, bruising him, knocking him out. He's probably unconscious, I'll say it. Unless he did the classic, which I don't think he did. You know, like, fuck it. Oh, he's dead. Drag him out. I think he just was almost basically dead. Some say he may have been resurrected, but probably not. Who knows? The bottom line is, they threw a lot of rocks at him. It hurt. They dragged him out. He's unconscious. And then we read this. They stoned Paul, dragged him out. So he's thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him. Who are the disciples? Does anyone know? Who are the disciples here? It's not the original cover band. It's not the twelve. It's, it's the people who have become Christians there. So people had believed. The preaching and proclaiming had worked. People had responded and now they're disciples. They were followers of Jesus from Christ, but they had become Christians. And they're like, we better go check on our, 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 our leader. Oh, he's, he's alive. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. And where does he go? He went back into the city. And again, we read that this guy was beaten and 
thrown rocks at him. He's dead outside of the city. His disciples came and they probably cared for him, looked after him, and gave him some food and put some band-aids on him. But he went straight back into the city. So what do we see here? Well, we see preaching and proclaiming, and then we actually see believing and beatings. Do you like how I've done the PP and the BB? It's working, isn't it? Believing and beatings. We see people believing, and then we see people getting beaten like that. <laughs> beaten up. And this is actually quite common throughout the history of the church. There's people who make decisions, and then there's division. There's preaching and proclaiming, decisions follow, and there's division. Preaching and proclaiming, there's good people believing, but there's also beating people getting beaten up for sharing the gospel. Because again, the gospel divides. The gospel says you can't sit on the fence. The gospel brings to, to light what is in the dark. Uh, John Piper tells the story of a, a Bulgarian pastor who was thrown into jail for a year for preaching the gospel at his church because uh, the, the government were rounding up all the pastors who were preaching from the Bible because they wanted the state wanted to control what was being said at the church. He refused to. And so he was thrown in jail for a year. That's like me just preaching and burning my mouth when I'm going to jail. Man, I that's, that's hard. And actually what's crazy about this story is he said it was the best year ever because the food was better than my wife. No, that's not what he said. He said it was the best year ever because he had an unbelievable ministry for the prisoners. Powerful. Preaching, proclaiming, believing and beating. Look what happened to, to the, the 12 disciples, the, the original 12 disciples. And, and, and I'm going to start from number one. You tell me which one you want to be and how they died. John died of extreme old age. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I like that one. But it doesn't, it's all downhill from here. Okay? And Judas Iscariot, after betraying his Lord and himself. Peter was crucified upside down during the persecution of Nero. Andrew died on the cross in, in a Greek colony. James, the younger brother of, of Jesus, was thrown from a, from a pinnacle from the top of a temple and then beat to death with a club. Bartholomew was skinned alive in Armenia. James, the other son of Zebedee, was beheaded in Jerusalem. Thomas, the doubter, was run through the body so like a big lance in the East Indies. Philip was hung upside down, sorry, was hung at a pillar in Heropolis. Uh, Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows. Simon, uh, again, was nailed to a cross in Persia in Iran. So, so I think we're all going to go with number one. Yeah, that's up if you want to go number one. Number one is great. They just write Revelation and, and die in the spring old age. But most of them did it. Uh, preaching, proclaiming, believing and beatings. And uh, let's keep reading. Now what we're going to see is they return home. Returning home. Again, this is a two-year period. Uh, and, and look what they do. I find this really, really interesting. Uh, so they went to the next day, Barnabas. Uh, as well as what's his name, Paul they went to a little town called Derby and it says there that they preached the good news there's that word again, good news, preaching and proclaiming in that city and won a large number of disciples so just after Paul's been beaten to death he then goes to another town and preaches and a large number of people become Christians, but then they returned home, it says then they returned to Lystra Iconium and Antioch. What happened in all three of those cities? 
There was division, they were kicked out, they were beaten and stoned, and they're going back to those cities. I'm like, man, surely there's got to be another way we can go. Do we have to go back the same way that we came? Well, they probably didn't. But they chose to for a very important reason. Look what they're doing. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith or to the faith. So they first go preaching the claim. Now there's the, the churches that they have planted, the people that have become Christians, they are going back to do what? To strengthen and encourage, to, to teach them to remain true in the faith. They tell them about when we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders. So now they go to those churches uh, that they planted and they teach them, they strengthen, they encourage them, they appoint elders who are leaders of those churches. Elders uh, for them in each church and they pray in prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they have put their trust. And so, oh, come on, baby. Come on, baby. Ah! Oh, there it goes. That was a smooth transition. After going through Pisidia, they came into whatever that one is, and, and, and when they preached the word in Perga, they went to Italia. From Italia, they stayed back to Antioch, where they had been committed. So, where they had been committed to the grace of God and the work completely. So, Antioch is where they were sent to do this missionary task, and they returned home. So, this is what they. Oh, golly gosh. Oh, this thing is causing me to sin. There we go. Okay, so you can see where they left. They went down, and then they went back the way they came. Why? Please, Jesus. Okay. Returning home, because when they returned home, they were strengthening and structuring. Did you notice that? They were strengthening the church. Regardless of the, the trials, again, they were beaten and kicked out and chased out and told them not to come back, but they went back to the believers to encourage the believers. To, to teach them, this is what to pray for them, to fast for them, to set up a structure. Uh, here, here's, here's, now, some of us might not like this, but actually, the church is an organism. The church is an organism, uh, but it's an organization as well. Because an organism without an organization actually will die and actually will fail. There needs to be a bit of a structure, and that's what they do. They strengthen it, encourage it, and spur on. They teach, they pray, they fast, they set up the structure for people to be in charge and to lead and to care. And that's what they do in this church. They return home, strengthening and encouraging. Now let's let's bring it home. Here we go, the last few verses. They arrive home two years after they left. That's a long trip. On arriving there, they gathered the church together, so the church in Antioch. And reported all that God had done through them and how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. You know what? You could easily, Luke could have easily written something on arriving there and they gathered the church and they talked about the faith and the perseverance and the courage of Paul and Barnabas. You, they could, you could have written that, yeah? Because there was faith, there was perseverance, there was courage by Paul and Barnabas. They, Paul and Barnabas don't do that, do they? It says they reported on what all that God had done through them. And now how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there for a long time. So we see 
that, that last bit is they arrive home and then we see our reports, our reporting and rejoicing. So they report on what God had done. This is what God had done when we were in Antioch. He, a great number of people become Christians. When we were in Elijah, this is what the people who hadn't heard about God. There was a guy who couldn't walk, he, he could stand. And, and these people made decisions and believed to follow. So they reported on what actually they had done. They reported and they rejoiced. They rejoiced in what God had done, not what they had done, but what God had done. A reporting and a rejoicing. Uh, uh, on Monday, the prison health guys had a uh, prison forum uh, up in the harbour. There was probably about 50 guys and girls up there from different ministries, different ministries that support uh, prisoners and in the prison. And, and, and they had a few testimonies. And I came and stuck my ear in for one. And it was a reporting and rejoicing. There was this one testimony about a guy who was at Wandu and used to come to Lakeside. Remember we had the guys from Wandu and they would come and sit in our service and, and he shared how that experience was incredibly positive. How, how the people at Lakeside showed a welcoming a spirit and connecting with him. But he also talked about how the gospel divided. Because he talked about, hey, I didn't like what sometimes what was being said at the front. He said it agitated me. And I wanted to know why. Anyway, and he talked about this over a couple of years and how he became a Christian and he went back to prison and then and he got out again and God gave him another chance in terms that he used and now he got baptised and, and all these things. But it was reporting and rejoicing. And everyone in the room, what do you think they were doing? They were, yeah, crying, celebrating, rejoicing. We've got to make sure we report and rejoice. So we proclaim and preach. When we proclaim and preach, there's decisions to follow Jesus, but there's also division. When we proclaim and preach, there's, there's, there's people who believe, and there's also beatings or persecution. We need to make sure we're strengthening and structuring the church, and we need to be reporting and rejoicing. So how do we move on from here? Well, we're actually we're going to go into a time of communion. And uh, hopefully you've got your little um, communion thing. And in many ways, when we, we come to the communion, we're actually reporting and rejoicing. Or maybe we're reflecting and rejoicing. We're reflecting on, on the work that Jesus has done. And we rejoice on the work that Jesus has done. I find it absolutely fascinating no one's listening at all. I think the communion goes. The whole thing's biodegradable. You just put it. I find it really fascinating that, that this happened 2,000 years ago. The stories that we're reading of the gospel going out into these little towns and these villages and these cities. Well, actually, they were generally urban cities. And we're here today, in here at Lakeside, in Basel State, reflecting or reporting and rejoicing on the work of Jesus. And so what I want you to do is, if you haven't already opened it, I want you to do something a little bit different. Uh, it's not that big, but I actually want you to, I don't want you to put it in your mouth round. I want you to break it up. 
and just put it in your hand. Just, I want you to break it up because when Jesus was on the cross, it wasn't round and smooth. It was, it was pretty beaten and bruised. And even then, when we read the story of Paul, it was pretty bruised and beaten for the gospel. Now, Paul's beaten doesn't save us, but Jesus does, doesn't it? And I just want us to look at it in our, in our hand. I know it's only a little way through, it's not. Just sit now for a couple of minutes and just reflect and thank, report and rejoice. Report to Jesus what, what, what's going on in your life. Rejoice. Thank Jesus for what he's done in your life. And every little broken piece is a reminder of the sacrifice. So I'm allowed to, to, to eat the, the bread in, in your own time now and, and we will drink juice together. But just reflect on the sacrifice. Report and rejoice on the things that Jesus has done in your life. Report on maybe the areas that you need help in. Remember all that he's done. to open up the, the grape juice which represents or resembles or reflects symbolises the blood of Jesus. I want you to look at it. When you've opened it, have a, just, even just shake it around a little bit because again this is a symbol of the blood that was shed. We can just Follow it and just kind of go through the motions. Just spend some time looking at it and thinking that this represents all a symbol of the blood of Jesus that was shed for me so that I may have life. And maybe you've made that decision. Just spend the next minute or two just looking at it, thinking, reporting and rejoicing in it, and then I'll ask us to drink together. Jesus 
to die on the cross for them. The beating, the blood, the, uh, just the sacrifice, Father, so that we may have a life, Father. Father, sometimes, or not sometimes, a lot of times we take it for granted and we go through the motions. But Lord, we just stop this morning and we report and we rejoice. Father, may we be a church, may we be individuals that preach and proclaim the good news. Lord, sometimes it, it can be a bit scary because we know it does divide and we know it does sometimes bring beatings or persecution. We don't experience it here as, uh, like other places in the world, but Lord, help us to have the courage to preach and proclaim, to strengthen and to structure, to do all those things for your glory. We ask and pray this in your name, Jesus.